What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Finn Sports Football Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony John Deletti, and today, guys, I got a special treat for you all. I had the one and only reason here on the podcast, host of Finside the NFL. We had a phenomenal, phenomenal conversation about a lot of stuff. Rookies, Tua, Brian Flores, um, Xavier Howard, the whole shebang. So without further ado, guys, I'll just let you get into it. Here's the interview I had with Reason. So I am now joined by host of Finside the NFL. Reason, thanks for joining us, man. Appreciate your time. How you doing? Not too bad, man. Thanks for having me on. Oh, of course. So obviously we're, we, we got to talk about some heavy stuff today with like Xavier Howard. I wanted to get into some stuff with Coach Flo and Tua that you've talked about on your podcast. Uh, but before we get into that heavy stuff, let's just start off with some, you know, light stuff here. We'll start off with the rookies uh, because – I've listened to a lot of your stuff on the rookies, and I think we both have pretty similar views uh, on the rookie class. I'm a guy that I really liked the draft class. There were positions we didn't address, wish we would have. Um, was really high on Waddle, uh, really high on Jalen Phillips, Javon Holland. Actually, you, I mean, you were like the first person to ever talk about like Javon Holland, like publicly, my brother and I had like a man crush on Javon Holland. And I'll never forget when, when we drafted him, he sent me a text. He's like, let's effing go. Like we got Javon Holland. I was super stoked uh, about it. Uh, Liam Eikenberg. I'm not sure. I think you said you would have rather had Tevin Jenkins. That's a guy I wanted. I thought we were (laughs) trading up to get him. I would have rather had him. Uh, Hunter Long. We're going to talk about the rookies. I just wanted to get, first of all, your thoughts on the guys we drafted, the impact you'll think uh, you think they'll have on the team. And then also just like, what are you hearing, uh, you know, from, from what you've heard about them, you know, who's standing out, uh, who's looking good, who's not looking good. What can you talk about the rookies? Um, Yeah, I think the draft class was pretty solid. Um you know, I, I had Jalen Waddle as my wide receiver one right off the bat. The, the wide receiver big board was the first big board I actually dropped this year. And I caught a lot of flack because I actually had Jamar Chase as my wide receiver four. Um, just a lot of stuff I didn't like about Jamar Chase. I didn't understand people's infatuation with Jamar Chase. I'm glad we didn't take Jamar Chase. And from what I understand, we wouldn't have taken Jamar Chase if he would have been on the board. We had a higher grade on Trevor Lawrence. He was our second highest graded player on the board. Uh, overall, only behind um, Trevor Lawrence was Jalen Waddle. So, um, yeah, I like the draft class. Um, you know, I think Jalen Phillips is going to be an impact player from day one. Um, you know, you, when you talk about this kid, you know, you're talking about a guy who, you know, he had a faster 40 than, um, you know, than uh, both the Bosa brothers. Um, you know, he had a short shuttle that was faster than both the, the Bosa brothers. Um, you know, his three cone was better than Nick's, but it wasn't better than Joey's. Um, his vertical was four inches higher than Joey's, but, you know, two and a half inches higher than Nick's. His broad jump was farther than Joey's and nine inches farther than Nick's, which was crazy. Um, and he has also averaged more tackles for a loss per game than both and averaged more sacks per game than Nick bosa while joey Bosa only averaged 0.1 sacks per game more than jalen phillips so you know when you look at jalen phillips and, and you start putting his athleticism 
and you know his um, combine numbers as well as his production. You're talking about a guy who's in the classes of like the Bradley Chubbs, the Jadavian Clowney's, the Josh Allen's, the Von Miller's, the Demarcus Ware's, the Miles Garrett's, the Khalil Max. Um, I think Jalen Phillips is going to be an impact player right out of the gate. Um, I do like. Javon Holland, I loved his versatility um, from the get-go. I've been talking about him since, like, last August. I had a video yeah. in October that highlighted him a little bit. You know, this is a guy who can play the boundary. He can play the slot. He could play in the box, which I don't think he play in the box um, in the NFL. And he can play the single high role, which I think is where he's going to see the majority of his time. He's a, he's a true ball hawk. Um, I think Javon Holland, you know, he, he has the makings to be special. My only thing I would say to them was – you know, at 30 last year, instead of Noah Benogany, you had Antoine Winfield Jr. staring you down at the barrel if safety was that big of an issue. But um, I like it. The Liam Eikenberg pick, you know, I've said since the beginning, this is a solid guy. Not a fan of his arm length. I believe it's like 32.23 inches uh, long, his arms. You know, um, I was talking to an evaluator that I trust and that I really get along with. And, you know, he told me that he thinks his he's also a Notre Dame fan. And he told me his ceiling to him is like Riley Reef. You know, he's going to be one of those solid technician guys that you don't talk about much which is what you kind of want. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't want to be talking about the player. If you're talking about the player at the blind side, it's usually not good. So, you know, I think you'll have a little bit of a problem with the more athletic guys with the bend around the arc on the edge and a little bit more of the speedy guys. But other than that, I think Liam Eikenberg was a good pick. I do think they kind of overpaid considering you had Tevin Jenkins staring you down at 36 and you had my favorite tackle in the past two classes. And remember I'm, one of the few people in October 2019, I was telling everyone, Tristan Wirf's the best, 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 best tackle in that draft. And we all saw how that worked out. And I think Panay Sewell is better than Tristan Wirf. So you had Tristan Wirf's at six. You had Tevin Jenkins at 36. Um, so I do think you overpaid for Lee Meikenberg. Uh, but, they, you know, obviously there's a run on tackles. Uh, the Hunter Long pick. Again, he's solid. Um, he's a guy who's going to get you to the chains, but he's not going to offer you a ton much more past the chains. Um, my only other knock on him would be, you know, sometimes he hears the footsteps coming and his contested catches aren't Mike Gusecki-like, but right. I think he's a better route runner than Mike Gusecki. He's clearly a better pass blocker and run blocker than Mike Gusecki. And, you know, you look at this room and the way they built it by adding Will Fuller, Jalen Waddle. Albert Wilson coming back, DVP there, Preston coming back. You know, I don't think there's going to be as many snaps at the X receiver and the Z receiver spot, and even the Y receiver in the slot for Gusecki that there was last year. So it's going to be imperative for a guy like Gusecki to produce in line, and it makes sense why they went to Hunter Long because they know he probably can produce in line. And honestly, I think Hunter Long might be better in the long run in the red zone than Mike Gusecki is. So yeah. I I understand the Hunter Long pick. Now, personally, I probably would have drafted Quinn Miners out of Whitewater, Wisconsin. I would have um, as well. You know, he can play guard. He can play center. That probably would have been my pick because I'm not happy with the center situation moving forward. Um, I like Jared Dokes. I did a little bit of a deep dive evaluation and had some all 22 of Jared Dokes um, on my channel. I think Jared Dokes is arguably the best 
blocker in the past in the backfield from day one. Um, he's really sneaky out of the backfield in terms of catching footballs. He runs really hard. Um, he plays a really physical game. The only thing with him is injury concerns. And now that he's getting to the next level and big boys are going to be laying in the lumber on him. I don't know how long his playing style will allow him to be effective at the next level because he invites contact yeah. instead of trying to be elusive. So, you know, you're going to have to tone that down a little bit at the next level. Yeah. I, I mean, you kind of worded it perfectly with everyone you, you talked about my, my thing with the draft just like overall is the thing I liked most about it, I guess, is you compare it to 2020s draft and regardless of whether it was the position that a fan wanted, right? Because a lot of people wanted the center. They wanted the running back. I think everyone can agree that it wasn't 2020 where you're getting developmental, what they're going to be, you know, projects. Like every person they got, I mean, I could go through Hunter Long all the way until him and say, you know, even him, I could see him getting valuable reps early on. Uh, I don't think that's out of the question. We remember like last year, Durham Smythe was tight end one week one. Mm-hmm. Everyone was freaking out about it, but it was because of the game plan they had. Um, that was my biggest thing is regardless of like, yeah, would I've rather had Quinn Mainers uh, instead of Hunter Long? Like, would I've rather had this guy? Yes, but at least I can say, the Dolphins got four to five starters, in my opinion, guaranteed that they'll probably be starting day one valuable reps uh, for the entire season where last year you had the Austin Jacksons, the Noah Igbenogany's where you're like, okay, I understand maybe the mindset long-term, but how is this going to impact the team right now? So that was my, my biggest thing on the draft. And I have, I have high expectations uh, for them because of that. Again, Waddle, I mean, you had Omar Kelly on, on your show yesterday and he talked about the whole limp thing and how he sees a limp. That doesn't mean he's not fast. He sees a limp. And if he's that fast with the limp, I mean, Waddle's one of those guys. The thing I love about Waddle on this team is like last year, you can't point to any guy where you went into a game and the defense feared them. Mm-hmm. You couldn't. And with not only do you have that now with Waddle, you have it with Fuller, but I mean, Waddle adds a different level of explosiveness. It's not Will Fuller because Will Fuller is different. He's more of that deep threat guy. Jalen Waddle is you give him any pass, you better have the proper angle on him or that's it. It's over. It's over. Um, and, you know, with Jalen Phillips, I think the thing with Jalen Phillips is we'd probably be hyping him up a lot more collectively if it weren't for the concussion, right? Yeah. If, if it wasn't for that. And it is a legitimate concern, but I mean, just prospect wise, I think you had him ranked second, but it was strictly because of the concussion. That cons- yeah. But I mean, like, and, and that's a Chris Greer thing to do, right? We've seen it many times, like they'll, they'll take those chances, but this this draft has a lot of like potential to where you're like, man, if things pan out the right way, damn. I mean, seriously, like, yeah. damn, we got some guys on this team now that I think will really make a difference. Um, so let's go through real quick the rookies. Like, what are, what are you hearing about them throughout camp? I know it's just camp and uh, like OTAs and mini camp, but like, let, like, let's just start with Waddle. What were you hearing about Waddle uh, in camp? What can you say just- about? 
that his chemistry with Tua is there. Right. Um, he's one of, uh, from what I understand, he's picking up the playbook at a relatively quick speed. Um, I, I'm expecting a decent year from Waddle. Um, Liam Eikenberg, your right tackle. He's going to be your right tackle for 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, Hunter Long, I, from what I was told, he really impressed in red zone drills, um, and he's been playing pretty well. Uh, Jalen Phillips, it looks like he's going to be playing outside linebacker, but you know people need to realize in our three-four scheme, you know that is you know our edge player is our outside linebacker. Um, I think they're going to have him more in a Sam role. I'd see him strong as opposed to like a Jack or a Leo or a Rush linebacker, whatever terminology you want to go with that position on the opposite side on the weak side. Um, and then. You know, I've also been told that we're going to see a lot more four-man fronts than we than we saw last year. Um, I've been told Christian Wilkins. I know it's not a rookie, but he's going to be playing a more of a big end role, similar to what Lawrence Guy does in New England. So, um, as far as the rookies, though, you know, I haven't heard really very much about like Jared Dokes and Larnell Coleman, um, Javon Holland. I've just basically heard he's kind of a work in progress in terms of he's taken on a really big role with a lot of responsibility right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm sure more will funnel my way as like the, when the pads get put on, you know what I mean? So right. um, yeah, that's, that's what I'm hearing right now with the, just the rookies. Right. And, and I, I've said this and I want to get kind of your, your quick take on it uh, regarding Waddle, right? Because the expectation I can already tell just like based off what you hear from people, I call it the, 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 I don't even know. Something with Tua, like the Tua syndrome or something where I feel like we're going to, we're trying to do the same thing with Waddle that we did with Tua, where we try to build up like this guy's going to come in and he's going to be the greatest thing you've ever seen at the position um, ever. And, you know, with Tua, I say this a lot, like Tua didn't really garner or do anything to uh, deserve like the hate he gets. It's more so you as a fan set way too high of expectations for him to meet. And it's not that he did bad. It's that he didn't meet your expectations. And I just feel like with Waddle, you know, so many people are like, what's your projection? Do you think he's going to hit 1K? And I'm like, to be honest with you, I just want to see that Waddle is what I saw in college. Like, I want to see that he is what I saw on film. Quick, great out of his breaks. I want to see him make guys miss. I want to see him draw double coverages to open up other guys. Like, am I wrong for, like, is that a realistic expectation to where we look at a wide receiver and it can't always just be stats. It can also be, look how what what is he doing for these other guys like will fuller like Devonte parker like mike Gesicki? like i i i'm just curious what what are your expectations for a guy like him yeah i mean look what henry ruggs did last year in las vegas he was more so dictating coverage to make the jobs easier for other guys um you know I'm not sitting here, you know, we haven't had a rookie with 800 plus yards as a receiver since Chris Chambers. I believe it was 2001. I think he put up like 883 yards and I'm not expecting that from him. Um, You know, as long as, you know, we see the speed as advertised, which, which from everything we hear, that's already being shown right now. Um, And, you know, I don't think till year two, year three, 
is when I would put those expectations of, you know, start flirting with a thousand yards. You know what I mean? Like people need to realize, you know, Justin Jefferson was an anomaly last year. That does not happen every year. Rookies, you know, normally rookie wide receivers struggle for the first year or two in yeah. the NFL. Um, now, you know what? I just want to see him dictate coverage and I want to see him to be able to help keep, um, you know, defense is honest where they can't stack the box against us. If he can do that, I'm fine with year one. I'm not sitting here. I'm not going to cry if he puts up 600 yards, but at the same token, you know, defenses can't stack the box, you know, Fuller and Albert Wilson and DVP, you know, make the most of the opportunities that Waddle's giving them. I'm, I'm not going to sit there and cry. I mean, you know, as far as with Tua, you know, I, 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 especially, especially on YouTube, I led the Tua train um, for we need to draft this kid. We need to draft this kid. And even before I started my channel, when I was on another channel, um, you know, I was the Tua guy over there. And, um, you know, all these people that had unreal expectations, I blame the media. It's, you know, you heard Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, yeah. where people didn't realize this is why I hate player comps, you know, when people were saying Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, they were talking ceiling. They were not saying you're going to get Russell Wilson, Drew Brees coming out of college. They were talking about this kid's ceiling. And at the same token, anyone who watched this kid throughout Alabama, you knew it wasn't the same guy in terms of he wasn't 100% healthy. Now, you know, I've had Nick Hicks on the show and we're friends now. We've developed a pretty good relationship. Just talking to him today about Will Fuller and stuff because Will Fuller's going to be training over at Perform Sports from today on. And, you know, this kid was at 60% health. You know, if you watched him, you could see with his drive step, you know what I mean? It wasn't the same velocity he was getting behind footballs. You know, you could tell he was bailing more so at the end of the season out of the pocket instead of climbing it. And that was, not, you know, I don't agree with Omar in terms of the first read. I believe it was he didn't trust the protection because he didn't trust his body. If you don't trust your body, and you don't trust the protection. You don't want to get hit. And you know what I mean? We saw a lot of uncharacteristic stuff from Tua Tungvaloa last year. And all these people that had sky-high expectations, man, if you go back, the receipts are out there. I wanted Fitz, I didn't want Tua to see the field until at least the original bye week, which yeah. originally was like a week 11 or whatever. 11. We're gonna talk you know about what it. I mean? Like, I, I didn't want him to see that field. So these people, like, and now that I know what I know about him, he probably shouldn't even have played last year, but he got the experience and that's good. But, you know, all these people with their expectations, this is my problem with quote unquote, the casual fan. You know what I mean? They sit on their couch, they watch the game and they, and they just, they just digest what the national media tells them when these people aren't specifically covering the dolphins and following the players like that. You know what I mean? They only watch two or three games of these kids and then they set out their evaluation. I've watched every snap of Jalen Waddle. You know what I mean? So yeah. I've watched every snap of Tua Tungvaloa before he came here. You know, I can give people more of a realistic outlook of what to expect with this kid. And, you know, the expectations, it's going to be, you just set yourself up for failure. You know what I mean? Like, no, less so you can be surprised if you get more. It's crazy, too, because, like, I feel like nowadays with our fan base, 
especially like I, I just started the podcast. My first podcast I ever did, the first episode was right before the Arizona game. Um, so like I'm very new to this, so I don't really know what Dolphins Twitter was like. But I feel like nowadays the thing that I hate is not so much when people disagree with you. It's if you, if the common goal isn't that you hope this player succeeds, right? If the common goal is not that, I don't know if you're truly a fan because what upsets me is I'm someone who on the podcast, I constantly, constantly talk about how when I went back and rewatched film of last year, the fact that Tua was able to do what he did should impress you. The fact that he played, right? Because like if any of us had that injury, like do you know how hard it is to play in the NFL healthy, let alone what with what he was going through? And, you know, a, a lot of the criticism I have on on his rookie year, because obviously it wasn't perfect. The, the problem is if you thought it was going to be perfect, right? It, it's not that it was perfect. He has stuff he needs to fix. But I just think that so much of what he needs to fix is going to just be solved by him being healthy. Like when people are talking about him throwing into tight windows, if, well, you know this because you played quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. Like you were, people think that like throwing a football is your arm when a majority of throwing your football, am I correct in saying it's a lot of your lower body? Yeah, a lot it's of a kinetic. Power. It's a kinetic chain. It starts from your toes and works all the way up to your fingertips. And and so I'm like, if this guy who you never had an issue with throwing the football in college, if he gets injured with his hip and he can't plant that leg in, no wonder he's not throwing into those tight windows. See, I'm not a person where I, I don't believe that he wasn't throwing into them because he wasn't comfortable. Like he didn't think they were open. I think he was like, I physically do not feel comfortable throwing into this tight window because I don't think I have enough power. So mm-hmm. if I do it, it might get intercepted because in the NFL, your window is that. So mm-hmm. if you don't have enough power to get that zip there, then like I feel like that's what the issue was with him is just confidence and like I'm not a hundred percent. And I just I, I tell people like. I saw the, a lot of things I saw in college with Tua, the anticipation, the pocket presence. I saw a lot of good stuff from him. And with rookies, again, like we talked with Jalen Waddle, rookie year, just look for traits. Like, are, do they have the same type of traits they had in college? Stop looking for production. Like, production, yeah. we'll worry about that year three. Like, I agree if, with that, yeah. Like, like if, if you look at a rookie for production, then – you're, you're one of those people that lives in the microwave society, which is most people like, just look for traits. Did Tua have anticipation? Yes. Did he have accuracy? Yes. Did he have pocket awareness? Yes. Did he have mobility? Shockingly more than most people thought with the hip. Now he's healthy. Like, I don't know. I just, and on top of it, I think it's criminal how little criticism nationally our wide receiving core and offensive line get. I mean, our wide receiving core, I went back and watched film on the whole entire season afterwards just to like see if I missed anything. And I went into the Kansas City game and I was like, we legitimately as fans expected a rookie to go out there and compete with Tyreek Hill, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, the Kansas City Chiefs, with his best wide receiver being arguably a tight end, Mike Kosicki. Like, it's criminal how little 
criticism they get um because the common the fun thing to do is hate too right hate the quarterback he gets clicks dude it's it's alarming to me like again if you go watch film honestly another uh, the only guy that was getting consistently open was jakeem grant he just couldn't catch a ball which is a problem if you're a wide receiver so it's just like look he wasn't perfect no, no rookie is Justin Herbert wasn't perfect. He couldn't even get his team in a field goal range against the Patriots. They lost 45 to zero. Like every rookie is going to have their struggles. I saw what I needed to from Tua and I expect him to improve. I expect him to be that guy. Um, and that's my thing you hear. Oh, he got benched. He got benched. Well, guess what? If the chargers were in the middle of a playoff run, you don't think Herbert would have got benched against the Patriots? Dude, his coach literally said, we're, we're not going to make the playoffs. And it was like halfway through the season. Like, the, the, you know what I mean? The different coach. Like, what? Like, people talk about Joe Burrow, too. Dude, Joe Burrow had the same stats as Tua. He had more yards because his team sucked. And he, he threw the ball and he threw the ball 114 more times. Yeah. Like, like yeah, he had more yards, but it, it was funny. I forget what show it was. I don't know. They're all the same nowadays where like they put up these stats and they were literally comparing Joe Burrow and Tua. And I was like, am I the only person that sees that the stats are the same except for the yards? Like the reality of the the other thing too, is this guy tore every letter of the alphabet in his knee. And we're excited. Like people are like, yeah, we're the, we're the team that needs to look for a new quarterback at six, not them at five. Dude, the, the reality, I, I made a podcast about this and I said the reality about the 2020 quarterback class and I said the reality with Joe Burrow is this. His team might at most win five games this year. His coach is going to get fired, most likely, which is hard to say because my my girlfriend's dad is Zach Taylor's cousin. So like oh, I, wow. I, I try not to like talk a lot about like I knew I kind of had heard that like, yeah, it's, it's Jamar chase. I thought it was Penny. So I thought it should have been, but like, he's probably going to get fired after this year. He's going to have a new coach going into year three and he probably will never have a season with a running record before he's up for a new contract. And that's who you're excited about. Like at the end of the day, when people say, let's not talk about the team, like Tua was better because of his team. No, let's talk about the team. Because the reality is Tua is in a very good situation and we keep busting the guy because what he didn't light it up like Justin Herbert. He's on a great team. At least I think he's got a great coach who we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, And like, it it just upsets me because I don't know, man, I don't understand really where the hate comes from. And I'm a guy who really likes Tua as a person too. Like I love his story. I love what he's about. And it's annoying too, when you see people just so stupid, honestly, like it's like, you shouldn't be getting a lot of them in our fan base too. A lot of them. And I'm like, if I, I also did another video or a podcast episode about like, if, if where you go for dolphins information is the national media, you have an issue. Because I was like, if you want Dolphins information, go to Reason, go to Clump, go to Doug, go to K-Flat. Like, if you want Dolphin information, don't go to Colin Coward. Yeah. Okay, he doesn't want he, – he has a producer that tells him what to, to talk about because he needs to get clicks. He's yeah. like, hey, just so you know, you got a million more clicks talking about Tua than you did the NBA Finals, so talk about Tua. And he's like, got you, got you. So – it's just upset, man. I really, dude, I hope Tua goes out there and shreds it. Like, it, I just, 
I really hope that he goes out there and does what I think he's capable of and, and what we're hearing that, you know, he might be capable of with, with his health being the way it is now. I think people are going to be really surprised. I mean, I don't know if you saw the video, but Nick Hicks posted today of him running more he's running, running back drills. Well, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he was beating AFC and NFC running backs in sled drills too. I think people are going to be really surprised about what Tua does this year. He's going to, it's going to be a good year for him. And there's literally nothing he could have done. Like that's the thing is regardless of what happens this year, like, you know, this dude put in every ounce of that. There's nothing he could have done more this off season. And like, why, why are you not happy about that? If you're a dolphin fan, like regardless of if you like him or not, I'm sorry. Did, did you want anything else from your quarterback? He, he yeah. took all the blame for the team unnecessarily, went out there, kicked ass in the offseason. Like, he don't... called the wide receiver. You know, if people go back to that media availability, we talked about how he didn't know the playbook really, really well. Um, he called the wide receiver core phenomenal. Yeah, I was like, um, come on, yo. You know, I mean, he just, he just sat, stood there and he took the bullets. So I respect the hell out of him. Now, staying on to it real quick, I just wanted to – I want people when they listen to this, I say on my podcast, like, I don't care about being right. I care about having, like, factual info so that when people listen, like, it's not about me coming on here and trying to be right all the time. It's about, like, the story being correct. They can come here and listen and know that it's factual information. I wanted to just, based off what I've heard on your podcast, go from last draft when we take – when we took to it to this off season, say what I'm gathering about the whole Tua situation with coach flow. And I want you to stop me. If you can, if you wanted to add anything, say what you can say. Um, just so like I, people who listen and me myself can hear from you what the situation is and what you can say, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So stop me, because again, I don't care if I'm I'm, I'm wrong. I, I want I know you have sources, and you're probably the most credible guy out there, in my opinion. So like this is just me being selfish and wanting to know, you know, from you myself. So we go to 2020. Mm-hmm. Tua is more of a Chris Greer, Stephen Ross pick than a Brian Flores pick. Brian Flores wants. I'm not sure if it's Justin Herbert or Joe Burrow. I'm pretty sure it's Justin Herbert. He's a Justin Herbert guy. Him and Marino. Him and Marino, Justin Herbert. Yeah. Chris Greer and Ross, we're going to take Tua. We're taking Tua. Season comes. They obviously have Chan Gailey for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick, in my opinion, this is just theory. I don't know if this is true. Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to start most of the season. That's why they brought in Chan Gailey. Worst case scenario, if we're not in playoff contention, we start to at the bye week. Best case scenario, we redshirt him because obviously medical concern. The bye week comes early. I feel like that decision was more of a Stephen Ross decision to put in Tua because he heard the roar at the stadium when he went in. That's why Brian Flores, when it came time, said, you know, it was just time to because a week before he said, I'm not going to put him in. If he was my kid, I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. He plays the season, gets benched, um, not because he was playing bad. This is something I talked about. He wasn't playing bad. He played conservative, gets benched, season ends. Mm-hmm. We hear rumblings about Deshaun Watson. 
the Dolphins, from what I, and again, say what you can say, the Dolphins were about to trade for Deshaun. Mm -hmm. Allegations come out. Stephen Ross steps in and says, you're not trading for him anymore. Two is the guy you're going to build around him. And from where, from what I understood of listening to people, talking to people, the situation now is, and again, if you can comment, comment, if you can't, can't. If Tua balls out this year, it's Tua. If he doesn't, they're going to look, go back and look at Deshaun Watson, most likely take trade, try to trade for him next offseason. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much where it is. I mean, before the allegations hit, Stephen, from everything I've been told, Stephen Ross signed off on a potential trade for Deshaun Watson. Once the allegation hit, that's when Stephen Ross basically pulled his signature off and said, I'm not signing off on this guy. And a lot of it came from this flack he took um, over the Trump administration, his ties to the Trump with bad PR. He doesn't want to go down that route anymore. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I've been told the Eagles are really heavy on Deshaun Watson um, still right now. So, yeah, um, you pretty much basically nailed it. You know, um, Flores, uh, I don't know what the what the disconnect is right now with Tua because, you know, if Tua's trainer can say this kid was at 60% last year, obviously the med- our own medical staff had to know that he was. So, you know, I, I don't get – you know, I kind of rip on fans for wanting to get off two after nine games. And do I got to hold my coach to that same right standard? And I think now the problems Flores is going to find himself in. Two has made believers out of that locker room just through his offseason from the receiving core and from the offensive line. There's a lot of guys who now, you know, you remember the reports at the end of the year from like Armando and stuff. Believe, apparently. Yeah, about players, you know, not really believing in him and stuff. Well, that's totally changed, and a lot of players believe he's going to be really good this year. So Flores is kind of playing with fire, and from everything I've been told, you know, Flores is still monitoring the situation in hopes that he can convince Stephen Ross if this stuff gets cleared up, but I don't think it's going to get cleared up before the season starts. So really – it comes down to Tua right now. Um, you know, if Tua stinks to join up, I've been told that Ross could clear house just so he doesn't have to listen to the I told you so's. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also heard that if Tua balls out, Greer and Flores stick around because he has faith in them as coach and GM. And it will kind of be a I told you so from Ross to them because apparently he's still bitter over the uh, Lamar Jackson thing. Yeah. Um, in 2018 was it 2018 and so i i don't get what flores you know issue is yeah you know like i've been told by one person oh flores really likes him but i've been told by multiple other people flores hates the fact that two has been shoved down his throat the way he has and flores is very very controlling and um you know, he doesn't, the fact he doesn't like that this whole thing's out of his control. So, so would you say like, am I, would I be correct in saying like, is the issue, obviously you don't know where the issue lies with flow. Like what I I could see, he's very like comes from new England. It's like when you see like your parents, like he saw Belichick have all the control. And I think in his mind, he's like, 
that's what I expect or I want eventually. Is it a situation with Tua from your understanding where Flo just doesn't believe in him or he would rather have a Deshaun Watson simply because of, you know, on the field, how good Deshaun Watson is? So my opinion on that is I think he understands where the defense is at. I think he probably believes too is kind of more of an unknown in terms of his ceiling because, like I've said, because of where he was at last year, you can't even basically gauge what his floor is going to be, let alone his ceiling, which is crazy to me because, you know, I've said, you know, an Omar Chelly, Omar Chelly, Omar Kelly <laughs> fact checked yesterday when I said this, and he's like, no, you're right. I said, name a quarterback over the last decade in the AFC East that's had a better rookie season than Tua Tagovailoa. There hasn't been one. And he did that in the in the condition he was at. So I don't know why Flores wasn't impressed and blown away with that. You know, um, maybe it's something as simple as what Omar Kelly was talking about, where he noticed to his arm dying a little bit, and maybe Flores and them see the same thing. But that was more so a takeaway from last year's training camp. And last year training camp two was at sixty percent, and you know what I mean. His lower base wasn't where it needed to be. So. I don't know where the disc, like I said, I don't know where the disconnect is with Brian Flores, but I think the fact is Deshaun Watson is a top three, top five at his position. You kind of know what his ceiling is. He's already proven commodity, even though he's never beat Patrick Mahomes, he's a proven commodity and they probably think we can win quicker with him than Tua. But my whole issue is going to be, well, guys, you guys traded Laramie Tunsil to them for a massive haul because Deshaun Watson was getting killed behind their offensive line. Has anyone looked at our offensive line lately? Yeah. Like it's not much better than what he had before he had Laramie Tunsil. We don't have a bunch of world beaters on that offensive line. So what Deshaun going to be running for his life here now? So, you know, and Deshaun at least had like Lamar Miller and David Johnson, you know, we have, and again, I was one of the few that called him take winning the starting job last year in training camp. But we have Miles Gaskin, who I think could be the best complimentary back in the league. I don't think he is the ideal RB1 for this team. Um, so it's like, what? You're just going to lean on the defense and you're going to hope Deshaun Watson can work miracles for you? And my whole thing is, if you make that trade, is I truly believe we're going to turn into a perennial playoff team first, second round exits consistently every year. Whereas if you build around Tua, I truly believe we can be an AFC uh, championship team. I believe that as well. Now, now transitioning to X, speaking of this subject, we'll talk about the X situation real quick. Do you believe that, because like, you, you allude to the, your understanding is he's still monitoring, flow is still monitoring the situation do you think that's why they're still dragging their feet with X? Because I know you've talked about this and I feel the same way where like, I don't understand how this is still lingering. I mean, we've known about it as fans. We knew about before the season even ended. So I was like, I don't know what the hell you're doing. If you weren't going to pay him, why didn't you trade him before the draft? And I think a lot of that has to do with like, do you believe he's trying to wait to use him? or he's hoping that he could have used him as a, as a piece in the Deshaun Watson trade. I mean, you know, we, we had heard the rumblings that 
they wanted defensive players. They didn't even want to uh, if they were going to trade Deshaun Watson. So it kind of makes sense. Um, you know, I, I, you know, my hypothetical trade was, you know, maybe they wanted because I go back to the Adam Butler signing. The Adam Butler signing didn't make a whole lot of sense in terms of this guy can start. Why are you adding him as a depth piece? And then you add Justin Coleman when you had Nick Needham already performing in the slot. Why are you adding that? Who's bumping out to the slot when you were telling us Noah was going to get reps and Needham was already there? So I really believe it was two for two or three first round draft picks, Christian Wilkins and Xavier Howard for Deshaun Watson. I mean, it makes it makes sense because because uh, of again the the moves that were made and um, you know transitioning with the X situation because I want to talk about that. I know you got your live stream to get to, so we'll finish here with this. Um, the X situation when when mini camp ended, I went on the podcast and said. Something is going to happen, whether it's an, at the time I was like, whether it's an extension or trade, it's got to happen by the 27th of July. You're as a coach. I don't care if your name is Brian Flores, Bill Belichick, you don't want distractions going to minicamp or into training camp. At least that would be common sense in my mind. So I was like, you're going to hear about a trade or an extension, in my opinion, before the start of training camp. Um, with the whole Xavier Howard extension or, or trade or, or situation today, we found out about like two hours ago or three hours ago that teams are interested, obviously. I mean, no, no, no shit. Like the, uh, he's, he's a phenomenal player. Of course you're interested. Like when that article came out, I was like, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sure they are interested in him. He's a phenomenal player. But like, what's your take on just like the situation, how it's been handled um, and what do you think is going to happen come whether it's start of mini or start of training camp, start of the season? Like what what's your gut or what what are you hearing with X? Yeah, just like the situation. Yeah, I don't think X is going to be Miami Dolphin. And do you think like are, are you on the same thought process of like it's it's it should or most likely will happen before training camp. I mean, that makes sense to me. Why would you want that hanging over your team, you know, when, when training camp starts? Yeah. I mean, why bring a disgruntled guy in there? You know what I mean? I mean, even Omar Kelly talked about X going into business for himself a little bit. Um, Why even bring a disgruntled guy in there? Um, I think, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, we need a Laramie Tunsil Hall. Well, you're not getting a Laramie Tunsil Hall. I hate to be the bearer of bad news here. You know, you, you'd be lucky to get a first, I think. Um, now, you could get a first by itself, but, you know, I'd be looking for a player in a second. You know, I put it out there, and I got some pushback from some people, and I got some people who loved it. You know, I'd be calling the Cleveland Browns, who are, you know, because that report said teams that are field, they're close to winning. Well, the Browns have a really damn good team, and you could call them and you could say, "Listen, give me a second, and give me Kareem Hunt." I love you know that. I mean? I or love I'd that. be calling up a team, um, or you know, I'd be calling up Cleveland, saying, "You know what? Give me Jack Conklin in a pick." Yeah. Um, you know, I'd be looking to get either a veteran tackle, sorry, Lee Meikenberg, or a veteran center in a pick. Or I'd be looking to get, you know, a lot of talk about the Cowboys, the Cowboys, the Cowboys. And I know this is very far-fetched, but 
would they be interested in Zeke in a pick? You know what I mean? Or if, if not Zeke, would they be interested in Tony Pollard in a pick and adding to that running back room? Um, I, I, you know, when I had Clump on, you know, Clump um, has a pretty, pretty solid source um, inside the Philadelphia Eagles organization. Um, you know, I basically saw text and was sent text um, the night before the allegations hit. You know, the allegations hit at about 11 o'clock. I was sent text about 9 p.m. that night about, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles had made multiple offers for um, uh, Deshaun Watson, um, but they were quote unquote laughable. Um, and, uh, you know, in that same was, I was told San Francisco and, and Miami were leading the way in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, because remember they hadn't traded with us for that number three pick yet. And then, um, what happened the next morning, Jason Lacanfora, as much as dolphin fans don't want to believe this guy's legit puts out literally the next morning, Jason Lacanfora puts out an article that he's hearing that the Eagles are trying to trade for Deshaun Watson and that um, we want to trade back, but we want to see in the top 10 because we want one of the Alabama receivers. And lo and behold, who did we end up drafting? So, you know what I mean? This X thing, I don't think it's going to get well and well. I mean, you heard what Omar Kelly said. He said, it's deeper than money. It's more about guaranteed money. It's about respect. And X right now currently feels disrespected by this team. So I do not think Xavier Howard is going to be Miami Dolphin in 2021. And I see all these Dolphin fans. Oh, no, like Benogany is going to ball out. Yo, you guys, Xavier Howard wasn't Xavier Howard in his, in his second year, let alone a guy who's coming out of Auburn, who's way more raw of a prospect than Xavier Howard was coming out of Baylor. It's not even close, not even in the same stratosphere. And people you know why was he converted from wide receiver to corner because his ball instinct sucked you know what i mean so you're not going to get the turnover production you know everyone wants to talk about stefan Diggs lit him up well newsflash tyler lockett lit him up pretty well too it wasn't just stefan Diggs, and you know i know corners only get better in the nfl with more reps but corner is one of the hardest positions to learn, I mean, look at how good Jeff Okuda was. They got left out on an island by the Detroit Lions last year, and they got lit up. Yeah, C.J. Henderson, he came out of the gates blazing. Halfway through the season, everything caught up to him. In the last half of the season, he wasn't very good. So, you know, people need to realize, no monogamy, all that coverage they were rolling to help Byron last year so they could bait offenses into targeting X's man now that coverage is going to have to be rolled towards Noah Benogany and Byron. Guess what? You're going to have to earn every single penny of that $16 million. And you're going to have to start traveling because I don't like what they did last year. And my whole issue with what they did last year was why is Noah taking the number one guy? Byron Jones should be traveling. Yeah. Should not be a, a, a question. And if they hang them out to dry this year like that again, it's going to be a long season and we're not going to have a top 10 defense. I don't care what anyone tells me, unless the pass rush is absolutely out of this world, which they've done a fantastic job in upgrading the, the front seven. Um, but we still haven't proven we can stop the run yet. That's another thing. You know, hopefully Bernard McKinney can bring that element. But, you know, no way Benogany, if this goes down and X is out, 
Noah Ibanagini is going to get picked on until he proves he can stop the pass. Yeah. And you know what? Dolphin fans can say what they want to me. I don't care. I care about who's the best player and who gives us the best chance to win. I would start Nick Needham on the boundary before I'm starting Noe Benogany mm-hmm. because two years ago, Nick Needham did a damn good job for a UDFA who had to assume the number one role because X wasn't around. Yeah. And I don't know where the Needham hate comes from. Needham's fantastic player, fantastic upside. He did so much in 2019 and Dolphin fans, Again, a bunch of them don't understand the game, don't understand the nuances of the position. You know, I, I would be more comfortable with Nick Needham starting at the boundary over Noah Benogany. But the fact of the matter is they cornered themselves by overdrafting a kid two years too early, the 30th overall pick. They didn't maximize the resource of that pick when you had the whole running back class staring in front of you. And you had Antoine Winfield, who was my safety one. Again, going all the way back to October 2019. We all know how that turned out. And now we're in a position where you're going to have to put the kids' feet to the flames because of where you drafted them. And that could end up biting this team in the ass defensively. And I just, just poor draft execution has now put us in a position where all these, I don't know where all these people are confident about Noe Benogany balling out because he hasn't shown you the ability to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like these people are putting the cart before the horse. And I, I don't get it, man. You know what I mean? Like, even if you watch him at Auburn, this guy is not a ball hawk. His ball skills are not very good. So, you know, we're going to lose. We're, who's going to replace the 10 takeaways? No one. And. You know what I mean? Who's going to play replace the pass breakups he gives you? No one. So, you know, it's it's such a poor situation. And them overdrafting this kid pissed Xavier Howard off even more. So it's like doubled up. Not only did you do it to yourself by putting X in this position with giving Byron all that money and drafting the Oleg Benogany, now you've also doubled up in terms of now you got to throw the kid out there who, brother, I had a third round grade on this guy. Okay. You took him 30th overall. Yeah. You know what I mean? So now you're going to put out a kid who, quite frankly, from what I've seen, based on what I've seen, isn't there yet. Yeah. And it's going to be ugly. And, you know, and, you know, Bill Belichick. Josh Allen in week two, Bill Belichick week one. What do you think they're going to do if they see Noah Benogany out there? Go right at him. You know, and if you're not traveling at uh, Byron, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to get as many mismatches with Stephon Diggs on Noah Benogany as they can in week two, and it ain't going to be pretty. Even Nelson Aguilar. I'm not a huge Nelson Aguilar fan, okay? But Nelson Aguilar, he's speedy and he can give you problems. He might give Noah Benogany problems. Yeah. So, uh, you know, all these people are like, oh, it's Noah's season. Noah's going to ball out. I don't know what you guys are on, what you guys have seen that I haven't seen, what you guys have been told that I haven't been told because they're fans. They're not media members saying this. You know, I think it's going to get this situation could get ugly into the season. And I'll tell you this right now. We're not winning an AFC championship or by some people thinking we're going to win a Super Bowl. 
We're not winning any of that without Xavier and Howard on the team. And I'll be even going even further. The expectations of the playoffs this year, 12 wins, 11 wins. I don't know if you get 11 or 12 wins without Xavier Howard and with Noah Benogany as your second featured cornerback. I just don't. Right. Unless the offense takes a massive leap. And, I mean, that's a story for another day because, you know, in the offense, that offensive line, I don't know how people aren't. You know, everyone's talking about the leap two it needs to take. The but no one's talking about the offensive line leap. You got Solomon Kinley. You got who apparently right now is being beat out for Jesse Davis, the guy you showed us last year when he played guard. He doesn't have the functional strength to play the position. You got Solomon Kinley. You got um, Austin Jackson, who was exactly what my evaluation told everyone he was, if you go back and listen to it from last year. Um, you got um, – Robert Hunt, who I said was a guard, it took them over 370 days to realize, oh, hey, he's a guard. Let's kick him inside when I could have told you that when we drafted him. All these guys need to take significant keyword equal jumps in their game. Then you got a rookie in Eichenberg that needs to limit the amount of rookie mistakes and the learning curve he has ahead of him. And you got a center you signed who you're hoping he can find his 2018 form. That's a lot of hypotheticals and a lot of what ifs. And the running game and Tua's development hinder on those guys getting their act together. So this season could be more of a disaster than people are expecting. They need to take their Homer hats off and their aqua and orange rose-colored glasses. They need to take them off too. And you sit back and you look at this. I hope I'm wrong, but this season could be a lot rougher than what these people are expecting or trying to convince themselves it could be. Yeah. And my just finishing off, like, I mean, you said a lot of phenomenal things. Um, I just like for, for me, my, my belief on the, or my thought on the situation is I, I, there's a, there's a couple things that either Xavier Howard has said, or just his overall thought process where like, I can't 100% disagree with the team on, on how they feel about it. Considering like just, especially like the Byron Jones thing, like, first of all, they put themselves in that situation because they signed him. I understand why they paid him that much money because I guess in their minds, you're trying to make the team better. You want to have someone opposite X. You have to pay him a lot of money. The no Benogni thing, I wasn't a fan of the pick when I found out that that's who we picked. I didn't even know really who he was uh, that much. I, I wasn't really that into like scouting at the time. I've just started to pick it up a little now. Um, but like, I understand a little bit like, okay, the domestic violence he missed at that time before this season, I believe it was 15 out of, I want to say it was 15 out of 21 games or so, or something like that. So I, I was like, I understand why you're doing it. And while I maybe disagree with some stuff about Xavier Howard wanting a new contract, my issue is I want him on this team. He needs to be on this team. And to be frank, I don't know what the issue is. Like you just signed Jerome Baker and you made the contract to where it doesn't start till next year because you have a shit ton of cap space next year. Okay, well, with Xavier Howard, I don't unless I'm I'm not understanding it right. I don't understand why they couldn't have just guaranteed him his contract this year and next year 
gave him that guaranteed money that he's looking for. And honestly, I think a lot of it is just, you know, uh, just Brian Flores probably just being like, this is my team and I'm going to run things my way. And I don't know if that's correct. And if that's how it actually is, but like it, to me, it really makes no sense why they haven't signed him. I, I, I to be honest, I really don't get it. Cause you can, you know what I mean? You can sign him. And so my issue is I, I don't really agree with X a hundred percent, but I 100% want him on this team. And there's really no reason not to sign him. There really is. And people got to realize you got to think about where he's coming from too. You know, he's got no more. He doesn't have very much guaranteed money left. He's looking around. He's saying, Oh, Calvin, Noy was your boy. You brought him in. You cut him right away. Eric flowers. You paid him to play somewhere else. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you actually were to put Jerome Baker's, contract over a five-year span do you know they would have given more guaranteed money to jerome baker than what they gave to x um you know so he's looking at this of like you know you guys are quick to cut and terminate all these other guys contracts i gotta take care of mine yeah you know what i mean because i don't know what if i'm at 30 31 you feel like you got all the use you can get out of me and you get rid of me you know what I mean? So it's just an unfortunate situation as fans. Cause like now we're put in this situation where it's like, okay, well, regardless of who we want to look at, if you're upset with X or the team, it's like, okay, well now you're losing your best player. It's yeah. that simple. Some people are like, we're not going to lose X after mini camp. I was like, dude, if I, if I put my money on it, like there's no way I don't like, I'm like, I don't see how people are optimistic even now that he's on this team. I'm like, he's done everything to show you that he's not coming back. I don't know. And, and it just sucks. Cause again, the expectation was you have X, you try to repeat last year as much as you can. Um, and now you just, again, it's a lot of hoping with Noah Igbenogany. Um, Not that he's going to be X cause that's not going to happen, but it's just hoping that he doesn't get picked on. Right. Because it, cause he's not going to be X. It's just, let's hope that he goes out there and, shows what they saw or what they thought they saw on him when they drafted him. Uh, Cause if not, again, talk about two, all you want for clicks. That's not going to be the issue. Tua can go out there and ball out like Deshaun Watson did in, in Houston for years. It's not going to mean anything. If your team isn't good, it's as simple as that. So I know you got to go for your, for your live stream. I really appreciate you taking your time for us on the podcast. It means a lot. Um, and thanks for everything you do. You, your content is phenomenal. Um, and I know you guys like you and clump and stuff, you might get a lot of slack for when you post about like things that are actually going on. It's not all like hunky dory uh, and you get a lot of like crap for it, but there are people out there. I know a lot of my listeners, um, me, myself included, like we really appreciate you actually like having factual stuff out there. And that's a big reason why I wanted to have you on is to just like, have factual dolphins talk to where there's like people with credibility. Um, Cause I want my listeners again, to have people, they already listen to you, but to, to come to this podcast and feel like they're not getting gypped or lied to or anything like that. And I, th- I think that's huge for us dolphin podcasters and YouTubers to constantly have the best type of content. Cause there's a lot of crap out there, honestly. 
I appreciate it, man. You know, that's another problem I have with some of this fan base. You know, they want to be told everything's going to be all right, tucked into bed, kissed on the head, you know, and everything's lollipop, sunshines, and rainbows. Well, even in winning franchises, things aren't sunshine, lollipop, and rainbows. I mean, go look at Belichick. He didn't talk to Brady. He wouldn't say hi to him in the, in the morning over the last couple of years, and they had won Super Bowls during that period. Everything isn't perfect in Dolphin land. And if the Xavier Howard situation isn't putting that people into perspective for people, I don't know what else will right now. So um, I just, you know, my whole thing is I started my channel. You know, I started my podcast with Richmond Web. I do all this stuff to inform people as best as I can so we can have one of the most um, informed and smartest fan bases out there. You know, if people don't want to believe it, if people don't want to hear it, that's their choice. But, you know, whether it's good or bad, I'm always going to tell people what I'm hearing and what's coming down the pipeline to me. So um, appreciate the kind words, man. Of course, man. We'll have a great stream uh, again. Thanks for coming on. Hope that we could do this again sometime. For sure, man. Thanks for having me. Bro. Take care, man. Take it easy. So there you have it, guys. Had an amazing interview with him. Um, enjoyed his time here on the podcast for you guys. And yeah, it, I, again, like it's not, it's it's not easy when you lose your best player, um, whether it's, you know, you agreeing with why he leaves, whether it's, you you know, again, I'm in the camp where like I don't agree with Xavier Howard, um, as far as like I don't feel like he deserves more money. I understand why he's upset about Byron Jones. I get it, um, but at the same token, like. Look, you, you got to expect the team to get better, to, to, to take guys to make the team better. The no Igbenogany pick, yeah, probably pissed him off. But at the same time, you just missed 11 games. Uh, you know, you missed, what was it? He missed four games and then 11 games. He played the first five of 2019. So what is that? He missed 15 out of 20 games. You know, so I understand why they got no Igbenogany. Then you mentioned the domestic violence charges against him that were dropped eventually. Like, it's just, it's an unfortunate situation. And I firmly, strongly believe from what I've heard and been told, Xavier Howard's not going to be on this team for much longer. Um, would be shocked if he's still on the team by training camp. Probably looking at a deal being done here in the next couple of days. I would, I would assume, um, you know, it's just, it's just an unfortunate situation. I want Xavier Howard on the team and, and, and ultimately whether you agree or not about again, the antics or why he wants to leave or the whole process, whether you want to pay him or not, the reality is we are not as good of a football team without him. Uh, and so this is definitely going to be an important development over training camp to see how, that cornerback two spot develops, whether it's Igbo, Needham, like Reason talked about, Jason McCourty, you know, whoever it may be. It's going to be interesting to see how this develops, but definitely something to keep an eye out on. So there you have it, guys. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, probably going to be coming out with one more this week. I have a topic I want to talk about um, regarding training camp. Um so, so that, that'll be coming out soon, but I got some guests lined up. Uh, can't say who got some pretty exciting people lined up for the podcast. Uh, hopefully that I can have them on within the month. That would be awesome. Super ecstatic for it. But 
That's it, guys. That's all I have for you. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Stay safe. Fins up. Miami has the Dolphins, the greatest football team. We take the ball from goal to goal like no one's ever seen. We're in the air, we're on the ground, we're always in control. And when you say Miami, you're talking Super Bowl, cause we're the Miami Dolphins.